0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Book in History, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Yakir Englender, your host today. As I watched Tarantino movie in Glorious Busters, I felt for the first time that, as a Jew, I have a place to fully feel the desire to revenge against the Nazis. I was also amazed that almost never I heard about survivors who spoke about real revenge against Germany as a nation. I had questions about how come that not more Jews invested their life after the war to revenge, at least against Nazis themselves. When one reads the last wishes of people who were killed in the Holocaust, we read about their begging from the survivors for revenge. However, many times it is not clear Who has a responsibility to do the act of revenge, the survivors themselves or the divine? The book, To Me Belongs Vengeance and the Recompense, the issue of the Holocaust and the Abba Kovner group of Avengers, written by Professor Porat, shares a story of a small Jewish group who wanted not only to kill Nazis, but to take revenge against Germany as a nation and to kill six millions of them. Who were those people? How the Jewish and Israeli communities react towards their plane and what happened with their revenge? All those questions are touched in the book. Professor Dina Porat is an Israeli historian. She is Professor Emeritus of Modern Jewish History at the Department of Jewish History at Tel Aviv University and the Chief Historian of Yad Vashem. Professor Parat, thank you so much for joining us. My first question will be, can you share with us what led to the writing of the book? And maybe even I will emphasize more. I wonder how come that such an important book about such an important subject was not written many years ago.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having invited me to speak on this uh, podcast. And thank you for this first question, to which I have a number of answers. Uh, The first is that some years ago, it's already 20 years ago, uh, in 2000, I published the biography of Abba Kovner. I published it in Hebrew um, and uh, I took the title from Hamlet, um, from, uh, sorry, from uh, a poem by Kovner himself. Then it was translated into English, published in Stanford with the title from Hamlet, The Fall of a Sparrow. Now, preparing this biography Took me some five years, along which I interviewed 110 of his friends, family, colleagues, comrades, uh, members of his kibbutz, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. He was not alive anymore when I started. I started, I didn't, I never met him. Uh, and I wrote his biography. Um, and along the way, we befriended. We saw, uh, we became part of these people who were with him, um, who were uh, his um, uh, under him um, in the branch of Pashomera Tzair in the Vilna, and then in the ghetto of Vilna, and then in the forest, and then along the ways out of Europe, and then during the attempt to avenge on the Germans and then in in the land of Israel and Israel. So we became friends and remained in good contact. What happened was that it was his biography. So I wrote only a page and a half about the group that he led and their attempt to take revenge on the Germans and they were horribly insulted and they said, We spent one full year of our young life. We did not come to the land of Israel. We stayed in Europe to finish the account, to straighten the account with the Germans. And you write a page and a half? Okay, the wild, I had to promise with a handshake that I will write another book, which I did. And then I interviewed again those I befriended before, but now I we on the revenge. Okay, that was one reason it was a promise. Now, a- along the way, I'm sorry to say, most of them passed away because when I started, they were already quite old people. Today, there is one left who is 101 and two ladies, 96, 97. So I lost them along the way, but I, and they did not have the chance to influence the book or tell me what to write. But the promise was the first reason, but there are two major reasons that are perhaps of a deeper meaning. And one is that After having known them for quite a number of years, since the mid nineties, I knew them. Uh, And this book was published in in 2019, which means uh, a a long time, some 20 years. Um, I wondered how does one reconcile or how does one understand the discrepancy between the, the quality of these people their values, their being members of youth movements. They're having good Jewish education between the two wars. They were the creme de la creme of East European youth, Jewish youth. How come they wanted to kill 6 million people? Out of which there would have been certainly casualties among children, babies, women who did not sin any any sin against the Jewish people who did nothing to the Jewish people. So how do you reconcile th- these people? Um, when you meet them, they are full of humor, full of strength, full of them. The, they have a responsibility until the very last day to the fate of the Jewish people and to the writing of the history of the Jewish people. They feel responsible. Um, this is part of the youth movement um, education and ideological education. They came from many youth movements. Some of them were even communists um, before and became Zionists. So I had to reconcile between the two and to understand how come such people wanted to do such a deed. Okay. Uh, this was the second reason. And the third uh, goes along with your question: why wasn't the book written some 30 years ago? Thanks. Indeed, revenge uh, is mentioned in the Bible according to uh, um, 80 80 times. Revenge, Nakam or Nakama in both terms. Um, in many forms or we in within many sentences 80 times. Right. And by the way, Chesed verachamim mercy and uh, compassion 20 uh, 220
0: times. Which means that it's there in the Bible. Even one of the names of the of God is El Nekama, which means El El okay.
1: right?
0: Sure. However, it's not, it's, it's there, but when you compare it to the positive, to the grace and compassion, it's not emphasized too much.
1: No, it is not, but still it is very much there. Right, And there is a, a very strong uh, emphasis on God being the one who has the right to avenge. And if you read Professor Yeshayahu Leibovitch's item in the encyclopedia of the Bible, Encyclopedia Mikra'it, Encyclopedia Biblica, he wrote the item on Nekama, and he says, according to the Bible and to Jewish sources, it is only up to him. Therefore, I called the book, I titled it, Li Nakam Veshilem, which means this right is... Pre- reserved only to him not to the human beings unless he tells a human being to do this and that mm-hmm. okay, now why wasn't it written some 30 years ago because revenge uh, in Jewish culture and in other cultures mostly of the western world, western civilizations is as we say in Yiddish eh, es which means it doesn't it doesn't fit in civilization. It doesn't accord with law, with bringing a perpetrator to trial, not to be his uh, judge and executor. So you wouldn't believe it, but about such a central issue, there are very few books of research. I have found only two two in English that really cover the issue. And they were written with some 30 years apart from one another. So it uh, it is an issue that was supposed and still is supposed to be not elegant and not civilized. Like taking the law in your hands going savagely into uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and this is not what one should do and indeed there is very little research. Um, So
0: thank you so much. So I wanted I wanted
1: wanted very much to do research when there isn't research.
0: (laughs) So the question is so we don't have maybe research and I wonder about the sources. So I, I will tell you what I mean. Um, I'm thinking about two things. One, also when we go to cinema and we go to literature, the place of revenge of the Nazis is quite new. I'm thinking about a very famous and successful movie, which yeah. was made by Tarantino in Glorious Busters, yes. where for the first time the Jews revenge and kill Hitler. Yes. And, 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 and I, I, maybe there is a need for another generation to be able to dream about that it, since it's not real. It cannot be possible. The Nazis are not with us anymore. But I wonder, um, Professor Porat, if you can maybe tell us when you read journals and memoirs of the generation during the Holocaust and mostly after the Holocaust, there is no wish or voices inside the Zionist movement, which will say never again, and sometimes even critique the Jews who walked to the slaughterhouse um, um, in, you know, during the Holocaust. There are no statements and wishes to revenge. What's going on in the milieu, in the narrative in no, that no, time?
1: Okay. Um, first of all, let me say, Just one word about this uh, Tarantino excellent movie, no doubt, Uh, and this is, it it has a connection to our group of Avengers that we're speaking about, about which the book was written because uh, this scene in the theater, when it is set on fire and they are all going to another world and uh, the audience generally claps and uh, identifies It's because, exactly because it did not happen. And you can participate as if it did happen. Now, our Avengers were quiet uh, and kept silent for about 40 years, since the middle of the 40s until the middle of the 80s, when Abba Kovner, their admired leader, got cancer of the, the larynx, the vocal cords. and was about to be operated, etc. And then they gathered and put the story together. But until then, mostly, except for a few short in interventions or interviews, um, they kept silent. One of their fears was that if they speak here in Israel about their a wish to to avenge on such a scale, such a large scale, people will not understand. People will denounce them. And indeed, at that time, the leadership, the Zionist leadership of the Yishuv did not want to hear about it. A few knew about it and objected totally to the large scale. They did not object to taking revenge on SS uh, soldiers and officers, members and officers, this they didn't, they even helped and wanted themselves to do, to, to have a hand in that, but not the large scale. This was out of question in any way. From the 1980s, the middle of the 1980s, they started opening and speaking. And as I told you in the mid nineties, I came to know them and when I, in recent years, interviewed them or asked them, invited them to events in Israel, all kinds of events, evenings, etc., they were accepted with such respect and with respect and with such warmth. And whatever they said, they were asked, um, would you Do you still think it should have been done? And they say yes. And and the audience goes clapping and identifying. Why is that? Because I I think it has a reason. They were afraid they would be denounced. Now they are so much respected. But it's the same deed. I have my own theory. And this is that we... Israeli society and the Jewish people. We, there was a wish there was a wish for revenge. You asked about it. There was Antek Tukerman Tuckerman, Ante Tukerman of the orchestrators of the ghetto Warsaw revolt said I don't know any Jew who does not burn with revenge. Mm-hmm. Who is not sick with revenge. All of them, but not only all of them, of course Jews wanted revenge, they lost everything, they were humiliated, they tortured, everything was taken from them. Of course, it's it's the the first natural feeling, not only them, all the European countries that were under Nazi yoke and Nazi boot, burned with revenge, and first and foremost, the Soviets. And what the Soviets did to Germany when they occupied it, oi we will not enter into it, but they burned, they raped, they destroyed, they went bizarre. They went wild until they com- the, commander, and the commanders advocated it. When they entered Germany, there were road signs um, ordered by General Zhukov, Andrei Zhukov, their the general, which said in Russian soldier, you are on German soil, avenge against the Hitlerites. And they did. And in the Czech, you wouldn't believe what the Czech, these sympath- sim- a, a people for whom we have such a sympathy, what they did to Germans, boy, and Poles and Greek, a, a former, former, um, prisoners did not want to go home upon liberation before they retake some kind of revenge. So it was a whole European feeling, not just a Jewish feeling. Okay, but revenge by the Jewish people was not really taken. We have this group, the story of which I tell you in a minute, I guess, that wanted either to kill the 6 million Germans for the 6 million Jews, or at least to um, kill as many SS members and officers as they they could, at least. They didn't succeed. Then there was the Jewish brigade. The Jewish brigade, 5,000 men uh, who came from the land of Israel into as a unit and fought and operated within the British army. Okay. They had a secret group headed by later chief of staff Flaskov and later general Zoya and others. And they executed at night some 100, 150 um, Nazis that they have identified Austrian and Germans mainly that they they had information on and verified that this is the person. Then there was another group in Vienna, a few dozens of Germans and Austrians. Then there were the partisans who came out of the forests in the Ukraine and killed a few hundreds. But this is a drop in the bucket in comparison to what was done the Jewish people. According to all I could find, there were not more than... 1,000 or 1,500 who were really killed or executed as an act of revenge. The Jewish people decided, despite this burning feeling of revenge, to go another way. And most of what we call Sherita Pleta, the saving remnant, the survivors, who were DPs in, German, in camps in Germany, Austria, and Italy, more or less a quarter of a million did not revenge did not plan did not here and there yes individuals went out of the camps looked for this and that and there were but not as a people not in any formal way not in any way that was decided upon there weren't even meetings Even in the Yishuv here, in the land of Israel, there were no meetings of members of the Yishuv institutes like the Jewish agency, Haganah, etc. that were dedicated totally to the question of revenge. No, it wasn't a central issue. The issue was that after the war, you don't want to look back and to avenge. As Ben-Gurion said, I don't know. I don't want to chase any, every German and spit in his face. I want to build. I want to look forward. I want to build so that having the state, bringing the survivors to Israel, first of all, and having the state, second, that was the issue and not revenge. Um, Can I tell you an anecdote? um, Please,
0: please. And I'm thinking, yes, please, you share it, then I went to ask like, Sub questions about that, but please go. Uh,
1: absolutely, uh, Germany was uh, divided into four: a Soviet, American, British, French. In the French um, zone, uh, a French officer and his uh, troop are s- located. Okay, stationed, and they sit in a German village but they look around and they look around and they find the DP Jewish camp. That looks terrible, not only terrible. It was right after liberation, they looked horrible. Uh, um, the problem of logistics and food, etc., etc. Um, and then not only that, but because there was, there was shortage of uh, housing, Germany was bombed to the earth. There weren't enough houses for Germans. They were imprisoned again in former Nazi camps, now liberated, but in the same place. Okay, so he comes and he finds such a place and he's absolutely upset. And the next day he comes to the camp with a few trucks, asks the survivors, it wasn't a very big camp, Asks the survivors to mount the camps and takes them to the village, the German village. He asks, they, he orders the Germans to leave their homes and stand in front of the survivors. He hands, he and his men, they hand the survivors revolvers and they say, go ahead, we are watching, kill them. Kill them the German village. And the survivors said ah, you must be out of your mind. Why should we kill them? We never saw these people. These are not the people who who killed our families. These were Lithuanians and Slovaks and Hungarians and Romanians and sometimes Poles, but this, and look at them, these are children and women and the old men, most of the men were not in the villages. They were either killed in war or prisoners. We, and the French uh, officer said, you are out of your mind. Look at how well fed and clothed they are and look at yourself, how, how you look. Kill them, I allow it, I order it. And they didn't want, they mounted back in the trucks and went back to the camp.
0: What a story, what a story. <laughs> Even that this village was witnessing in a way, they knew that there is a camp there. So they have some responsibility, but still, they didn't want yeah. to revenge. And Professor Parath, I want to, I, it's not the essence of the book, and we will go now very soon to, to, um, to the revenge or, the, you know. Um, but short questions. I wonder about two things. One, do we know about Jewish Soviet soldiers? How they? reflect on the revenge that maybe their friends in the unity did, mostly the rape. We know about the mass rape of German women. Yes. Did they say um, participate in that? And the second part of that, I wonder, maybe portion of the revenge was happening in the independent war in Israel during 40, 48, 49 49. Um, that maybe some survivors from the Holocaust, as we saw in the movie Exodus, when they fight, not revenge, but when they fight for the independence of Israel, maybe they come with portion of the anger or um, survivor anger and pain of losing all their life in Europe as soldiers now at the idea of the Israeli Defense Force.
1: Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think you asked here some, two questions. Uh, the first one
0: about the Soviet, the Jewish Soviet
1: yeah, yeah. soldiers, the first one is, the first one is hard to quantify. You can find the answer to it in many memoirs, both memoirs of these, um, Jewish Red Army soldiers and the other survivors, um, Haganah members, Jewish brigade soldiers. Now, you know that about 450,000 Jews were enlisted to the Red Army. You know uh, that in general, 1,000,000.6 Jews fought in Allied armies. 450,000 in uh, the Red Army, 550,000 550, in the American Army and the rest in which makes a million. And then the other 600,000 British, Austria, Australian, Canadian, New Zealand, Polish Army, uh, Partizanka, Italian, French resistance, Yugoslav, etc., it's not enough known and not enough balanced against those who supposedly went like sheep. They did not go like sheep, but um, it, to slaughter, it's a million point six. So the Soviet Jewish a, a soldier definitely took part in the revenge in anywhere. I'm not sure they went uh, around raping German women. That was a bit. Uh, have been a bit too much um, with the Jewish education but they, most of them were already Soviets second generation at least to Soviet education and upbringing they were part of their army and this is what they did look at the parades in Israel in, they do it in Jerusalem every May 8 or 9 every year when the veterans come up with the medals, with their uniforms, the medals, uh, the habit in the Soviet uh, Soviet Union was that you get a band a little um, for every battle. In Israel, it's for just one for a war, not a battle. And so they have many, many, and they walk with it because they were part of the Red Army you know what a unit a jewish unit defected deserted from the soviets and went to the jewish brigade in secret of course uh, so they were definitely part of it and i would say the following they were deeply deceived and disillusioned by the soviet participation by Ukrainian and Belarus, Belarus less, but Lithuanian, Russian participation in the killing of the Jews. They were totally disillusioned uh, from the wish they grew up on that the Jewish problem will be solved in the Soviet Union. So they, after the war, there is much more of Jewish feeling and Jewish identity that later is expressed in leaving Soviet Russia in the 70s and later the million that we were awarded with in the 1990s.
0: So that's Thank the you. sequence. Thank you so yeah. much. So let's go to, to these um, unique groups that you, you dedicated the book to. Can you share with us a little bit, you mentioned about their education, about their, um, where they come from, but can you say, do we see similarities among all of them? Um, I think that I saw only one or two who come from ultra-Orthodox families, if I remember. One. Well. one Just right? one, yeah. Just one. C- can you share a little bit about their upbringing?
1: Sure. Um, Abba Kovner he called, he said that they don't have a biography, they have a collective biography. They have a collective biography, which means that when you take the Hebrew book, I dedicated half or three quarters of a page to each of them. Each, they were a group of 50, and I managed to uh, have records and testimonies, etc., and photos of 35, 34, 35. So when you read it, it's uh, going to uh, Many of them started in Haider uh, or uh, um, but then went to to school, to elementary school, high school, gymnasia Tarbut, the Tarbut gymnasium, which was uh, a secular one with a very Hebrew and Zionist uh, tendency. They knew Hebrew, they knew uh, they spoke Yiddish, of course. They uh, were intelligent and with education, reading and um, uh, in the youth movements they went to, they went to many. uh, They were, um, the group was made uh, from, the members of the group came from a number of cities. A big group from Vilna, but the others came from Krakow, Shenzhenkova, etc. In the Rovno, and each of them had this, they were more or less at the same, of the same age, they were in the either 19 or the beginning of the 20s, with this education, some of them were communists, at least two or three were communists before, but they, they were disillusioned, as we said, and they joined uh, Zionist and pioneering uh, movements and followed Kovnir. So they have a collective uh, biography. They come from many places. Uh, they spoke a number of languages, but they definitely have a lot in common from the point of view of education. And as we said before, from the point of view of a feeling of responsibility, deep responsibility for the Jewish people. You know, today it's very hard to speak to youngsters and make them understand that during the thirties, forties, fifties, ideology, your ideology was what directed your life. The party you belong to, the youth movement, it was more important than your family. You dedicated time and effort to that. You had to change the world. You had to invest time and effort in, in being responsible and changing. This um, whole, the few dozens of years with, where ideology was so central and leaders, leaders as we say now bigger than life, like Churchill or Roosevelt, or for the word the other side, uh, um, uh, Hitler and Mussolini in Salazar in Portugal, Chiang Kai-shek. They, these were the, the uh, a heroes, a leaders that led ideologies and led millions. This era in history is finished with the murder of President Kennedy in 1963. In later years, no ideology, the man in the street is in the center of culture and life. It's a totally different, but our, the ones we are dealing with, grew up in the, with that feeling of changing the world of being responsible.
0: Fascinating, fascinating since I think, um, even today in Israel, during the Corona time, you see the clash between some groups as the ultra-Orthodox who still follow, in a way, the main leader. Yes. And then you have the other parts, right, um, of the Israelis who don't understand how a rabbi can decide about yes. how to deal with the corona, and you see the tension. And I think that your explanation can light us that if we would be 50 years ago, not only the ultra-Orthodox will go to the main leader, but also maybe the secular will go to yeah. the main leader to to listen to, right? So two plans, two major plans were chosen and um, I wonder if you can tell and share with us a little bit how they choose what to do. And I, we speak about, if I remember well, between January, 1945 to August, July, August, 1945 are the main months of the planning and the preparation for their revenge. Can you focus with us about how they choose it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So, indeed, uh, on January 45, a Kovner leaves Vilna and goes down to Lublin, which was then the a temporary capital of uh, Poland, and Warsaw was not liberated yet, and then they go down to Bucharest and his comrades join him, and to Bucharest came more and more refugees and survivors, and the group is crystallized. Now there, the idea, the modus operandi, the mode of operation, and also the argumentation are crystallized, not just the members of the group in person. And Let me start with the argumentation, which goes as follows. Of course, the Holocaust is the main reason, of course, for in, uh, for the wish to take revenge. They are, as we said, they finish the war with their shirt, their shirt, that's it. Nothing, just nothing, no property, no objects. They were robbed of everything. The last wedding ring, if they wedded or a a watch, everything was taken. If not by the Germans, then by Soviet soldiers. So they lost everything. Of course, it was first of all the wish to take revenge because of the Holocaust. But then a few other reasons piled on, and these are post-war and post-Holocaust reasons. First of all is the wish To warn, to punish on a large scale that would serve as a warning. So the Jewish history, which they studied and knew knew very well, and to them was a whole line of pogroms, exiles, uh, um, uh, robbing, etc., humiliations, etc., etc., culminating in the Holocaust, should have point at the end of this sentence, that's it, puenta. no more. And they wanted the deed to be a warning for future generations and future non-Jews who would perhaps entertain such an idea. They were mainly thinking about Stalin, and they were right. He didn't harbor any good feelings, any positive feelings um, For his Jewish population. But it was not only that. Right after the war, when the war finished, the killing of Jews continued. Jews thought that as survivors they will be accepted and hugged and taken care of. They were killed when coming back, trying to look for their homes, trying to look for Perhaps some member of the family is still alive and they were killed in Slovakia, in Hungary, in Lithuania. Lithuania, when they came, came July 44, liberation, came out of forests and hidings and the bunkers, etc. they were killed. In Poland alone, at least 1,000, if not 1,500 were killed between the middle of 45 to the middle of 40, summer of 46. So, as Kovner phrased it, the war was over, but the Holocaust was not. And Sivia Lubetkin, the leader of the, um, one of the leaders of the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, said the same. It's it's still here. It's still here. Jews are being killed, healed, robbed, etc. The last ones. And so, this knowledge, that anti- murderous anti-Semitism is still going on, led them to think about a large-scale revenge, about an act that would shake the world and not allow any such continuations. There were, of course, other reasons, such as um, the testament of those killed. Many of those killed said before being killed, avenge us, avenge it's your duty the leaders in the youth movements who were killed said those who stay alive should avenge. People were throwing last notes and letters out of the train with the wish, the order to avenge. So they felt they are following the testament of those killed. It wasn't just their whim or caprice. And as I say again, it was in the context of all of Europe, wishing to revenge on on the Germans. Um, And therefore, um, how how should I put it? They uh, wanted revenge as a warning to stop the killing, to be a fulfillment of a testament. And they felt that they don't deserve to start a new life of family or to go to the land of Israel to build there until they finished account with the Germans. So these more or less were the reasons for this large scale plan. Now what they planned was to pour poison into the water systems of a a number of German cities they thought about eight and then reduced it to four germany was so destroyed german cities were destroyed to such an extent that it wasn't feasible to to, to find a room there or to to orchestrate any kind of any uh, they, they finally they decided on two places on two places uh, in nuremberg and uh, in in um, Nuremberg and Hamburg. And they already, they started working in offering themselves as workers in the water systems. And some of them were accepted and knew the water systems, knew them very well. In the meantime, Kovner sails to the land of Israel to get poison and to get support. Support he doesn't get, as we said. He gets support only for smaller plans for to go against SS. Those few leaders who knew about the large scale objected totally. He gets poison in Israel. Uh, and the person, the two persons who give it to him are the two brothers, Haron and Ephraim Kachalski, later Katsir, Ephraim Katzir was later the fourth president of Israel, then a student of microbiology in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he met, a Kovner was brought to him, told the two brothers about the Holocaust, about which they first then, first f- heard the full account of. They go down to the laboratory. They were members, young members of the Haganah the defense force of the issue of the Hebrew community uh, of uh, the Hebrew community in the land of Israel. And the uh, person who worked in the laboratory was as well a member of the Agenah. Kovner told them about uh, going against uh, and punishing SS. He said, of course, it's a mitzvah, no doubt. You don't have to ask any more questions. After a while, they gave him the poison and he sails back. To Europe, He sails back, the Haganah knows, the Haganah uh, gives him a falsified uh, document. You could sail only on a British soldier ship, okay? But he wasn't a British soldier, so he get, u- he get uniforms falsified. Uh, it, it doesn't work because he and a few other such comrades, they didn't know a word of English. Covenant, how, how could he have known English? or how to act as a British soldier garnished, but, um, and they are caught. They are caught by the British, not because anyone knew about revenge or because he was carrying, the British didn't know that. They were afraid of more Lehi or Etzel. These were two groups that deviated from the Haganah and were more extreme. They killed the Lord Moyne, the British minister in residence. They were afraid. They are caught, and Kovner is in prison, in British prison in Cairo. But the group is in Germany. They are scattered in Germany. They go on. They are so upset. He, The leader was, is in prison. The poison was thrown into the Mediterranean, but they don't give up. One of them was a chemist, was a bit older than the, uh, most of the others, was a chemist. He fabricates another poison. And now comes plan B. The first one, plan A to kick, kill the 6 million, they didn't have the poison. But they also were objected and inspected by the Haganah in Europe so that they don't do that. And so they go to the next plan, second plan, plan B, and this is to put poison, to smear poison under loaves of bread. Bread served to prisoners of war camps in which the SSR and the British or American um, allied forces. Okay? And with this, they succeeded beautifully to have the poison, to smear it in secret in the bakery. Again, they worked in the bakery, they knew how to do that, how you put the loaves, etc. And they the poison, according to the American um, investigation that took place after the effect, the poison was excellent, they worked excellent. But the poison, arsenic, had to be mixed all the time with warm water so that it doesn't sink and you couldn't do it for for many hours and and the poison was not even and was not there wasn't an equal amount under each bread there was a total havoc in the camp people felt sick. So that the americans understood that there is a major problem here took everyone to hospitals to wash the stomachs, etc., and save them all. No one was killed. No one was killed. So they didn't succeed. <laughs> and then they are sent to, um, to the land of Israel by the commander of the Haganah in Europe, who said, I understand. I also want to revenge. In Hebrew, I found he, the reports. You first asked, they said something about sources, interviews, letters, they gave me their diaries, notes in Polish, Lithuanian, Yiddish, German, etc. etc. I had a lot of material, but and I also was given the American investigation protocol. In 70 years, the Americans wouldn't release it, but then they okay, they agreed. But I also found the reports that the commander of the Agana in Europe sent to the land of Israel. He was in charge of this, of the group, to prevent it from going wild. And he, but he writes, instead of writing nekama, he writes nechama. Nechama means, you know, comfort. He calls revenge comfort. And he says in his report, I know that you, my commanders and leaders in the land of Israel, you want revenge. And I'm afraid we will miss a historic opportunity to war in the world. But policy and wishing for a state was stronger. Ben-Gurion meets one of the Avengers. He comes to Europe to meet all the delegates, soldiers, et cetera, et cetera, after the war. And he meets the person, Pasha, who replaced Kovner when he was in prison. And Pasha says six million tatatam tatatam. They spoke Yiddish. And Pasha told me, I interviewed him twice. He said, Ben-Gurion was so warm, we spoke Yiddish. We stood close to one another. But then he ended and said, will six million dead Germans bring to life my six million Jews? If not, of course not. If not, I'm not interested. And when Ben Gurion was not interested, nothing happened. So, so this is how he put it. What would you do? You will kick six million. Okay, will it bring to life? No.
0: It's fascinating how the language of honor, you know, in revenge is shifting to, to language of dignity about like, how it will help us. And and, and I'm still thinking about um, the, the, the words of the family members who ask for revenge and where this wish, as a Jewish narrative of survivors, what happened with that, right? Yeah. I mean, because many of them said, please revenge. But they did And something, yeah. and they didn't. And they didn't, exactly. and didn't. you see,
1: along the years, I have befriended many survivors, interviewed, we stay in touch, we call each other for holidays, etc. What they always say is time and again, every because on holidays we speak mainly, and they say that the sweetest revenge is that they live among Jews, that they participated in the building of the country, and that when they sit at the seder. Pesach, as um, you say, Passover table, right. okay?
0: With a family.
1: With a large family that they built up. That's it. Yes.
0: So it's a uh, the Kiddush Chaim, It's the sanctify yeah, of yeah. life.
1: This is exactly what they thought was the right way. Yes. And uh, so f- I tell you this. Uh, you know, of course, author Chaim Be'er. Yes. very very
0: famous Israeli author for author, Chaim
1: Be'er, an excellent uh, author and uh, he worked in a publication a known publication house, Amoved and edited my book on Kovner and so we, okay, he tells the story about a famous partisan, Cholavsky, Shalom Cholavsky a famous partisan, a person who headed he, 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 a unity among survivors and youth members and etc. And then a member of a kibbutz in Israel and the historian, a, a model figure. And Cholavsky, one day before he passed away, tells Chaim Be'er that after the war, he decided to take revenge in secret. And he identified Nazi officers who were responsible for this and this and that and killed 10 of them. And after he killed 10, he felt it gives him nothing. It's going nowhere. He can kill and kill until the end of uh, eternity. It gives no satisfaction, no direction. And he stopped it.
0: You see? Wow. So, Thank you so much. So my yeah. final question. Yeah. When you spoke with The members of the groups that were still alive when you wrote the book Mm -hmm. um what changed if at all in their perspective now as older people
1: okay i asked each of them i asked each of them uh had you had the opportunity to do that again or the chance or the choice what would you do now some of them said, hallelujah, that we didn't succeed. What, oh, Where would have, the Jewish people go or how would it have looked if we like Nazis, we would have killed 6 million by poison or by torture, never mind, but kill. A few others say, ah, we should have done it. We should have done it, look, how many millions of Germans were chased out of Czechoslovakia and Poland and made to uh, die on the roads? And the, no one would have noticed. It was the right time to do it right after the war. We shouldn't have listened to the Aganein, to the Shubin, to go on to no one should have done it. They can afford to say so because they are speaking now in the 200s, in the 1990s and the 200s, like Tarantino's movie. It is not going to happen. So you can say yes. Some of them still say until their last breath, they say yes. Um, Another point of perspective is that uh, I told you that in recent years, they are very much respected and sought after and invited to many places. And I have my theory. Because we made peace with Germany, too quick and too early. Israeli society, uh, well, we needed the reparations in 1950. At the end of 1951, Israel was about to to collapse. We had no food. We were almost no food, no foreign currency, no fuel. The German reparations saved the country. That's for sure. And when you start this, you start a whole chain of contacts. in 65 came an ambassador, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Look at the relations today. But people remember, people remember, and our group is like a road sign, a red road sign on the road that said we should not have been so quick. They were not punished. They were not punished. The Jewish people did not take revenge. And the German people was not punished. A few, okay, Nuremberg trials, the leadership, a few other trials, the Soviets continued dozens of years with the trials, but it's a person here and a group there. They were not punished. They finished the war and went home. Germany, until the 70s, at least, until there is a new generation. Judges and mayors and teachers and uh, uh, everyone are ex-Nazis. There were eight million men in the Nazi party. There were a quarter and a million in the Allgemeines, in the general assess. There were 800,000 Waffenesses, which means that about 10 million German men were there and they go home and they live. So we didn't revenge, they were not punished. There was no trial. No Dean and no real Dayan in that story.
0: Professor Parat, thank you so much for writing this. Such an important and such a, to read it, you know, to read it, I think there is some um, even healing by reading it and by processing, because you invite <laughs> readers to process, I think, our personal feelings towards question as a revenge. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining the New Books Network.
1: Thank you.